Hey guys, welcome back. This is Luke with LukeHumphreyRunning.com and I wanted to uh, talk today about maybe some things that we can work on and some things to think about as we're all kind of in this uh, uh, stay-at-home stay shelter as I think most of the United States is and a lot of our friends across the world are, are um, in similar situations. So, um, you know, hopefully you can run outside. I know some people can't. I know I coach a, I coached a guy in Italy and um, he had to he had to cancel because they were on lock. They, one day he was running, and the next day they were on lockdown, and and uh, he didn't have a treadmill, so that was uh, that was the end of that. But luckily he's uh, he's doing okay. He's just kind of waiting it out. And uh, but I know a lot of people are in similar situations. So I think as we are all as we're all approaching the springtime, um, <clears throat> we can kind of take a step back and and uh, take a look at some things. And you know, running no doubt will be will be back. It's just a matter of when. Um, but in the meantime, there's lots of things we can we can work on, and what I'm going to talk about today can really potentially help you in running, and you know even other things in life. So, uh, but I wanted to talk about you know kind of some some mental toughness type of things, uh, something that comes up a lot, and it seemed like before all this happened, uh, mindset and things like that was kind of the buzzword of 2020 anyway. So uh, I want to talk about some things that uh, uh, that maybe we can work on. So. Without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in and and uh, get rolling here. So, um, so it's no doubt that being mentally tough is something that can improve your performance. But uh, you know, the way I hear runners discuss, it feels like it is something that you either have or you don't. Right? It's something there or it's not there. And and personally, I found it really more of a fluid ingredient to my own personal performance. And I w- I felt like I was very mentally tough in my outstanding performances. And I felt like I was really mentally weak that I would give up easy in my in my poor performance. So, um, so to me, that got me thinking: What does being mentally tough actually entail? Is it a trait? Is it learned? Uh, you know, and these are the kind of things I want to explore today. Um, so, what I what I have actually learned is that being mentally tough may not necessarily be about the amount of discomfort that you can force yourself to endure, but maybe more about where you direct your focus. And I've talked about this in my race strategy discussions. Uh, and really what I'm, when I talk about, it, I say that early on, like in a marathon, you don't really want to focus on too much because the more dialed in you have to be early on, the, lo- the longer I had to maintain that high level of focus. And for me personally, that just wasn't sustainable. And often I would fade and not from a physiological standpoint, but more from a, a, a psychological standpoint. And, uh, you know, now I will think that my, my idea was a solid in theory. I really do. I think what I, my thought process was solid. Just my wording might have been off when, I, when I've had those discussions in the past. And as I've learned more, I can better explain it, I think. So the point is that I've never had any more or less. Or I've never, I was never any more mentally tough or less mentally tough in good races and bad. But potentially that my focus was not uh, set on the right cues. And, and this idea is called limited channel capacity. And so this is the ability to hold on to limited amount of information at one time. And the thing is, if you try to hold on to too much, or if you try to hold on to the wrong things, then there's no room for what is relevant to the task, and we lose performance. So when we look at these things, we consider mentally tough. We, we tend to see the following qualities. So one, they, they might have the ability to focus on their own performance despite any outside personal issues. And we see this all the time. We see a lot of really good athletes um, you know, really great athletes, even more is, you know, we see them perform amazingly well on the court or the field or the golf course or wherever the track. 
And then you come to find out all these personal things in their lives and you wonder how the heck did they balance that? And so they, they possess that ability to flip the switch and not think about any of those things that were not relevant to what they were doing at that time and, and you know, in the sporting activity. So they had that innate ability, um, whether it was learned or, or just possessed it, um, is something to discuss. But now in your own case, that might simply mean being able to leave what happened at the office, you know, at the, at the office instead of bringing it to the track workout or the race or whatever the case is. If it's taking up space in your head during the workout, then we tend to miss the physical and internal cues of how the workout is going, and then it can often lead to a subpar event, whether it's a workout or a race. Secondly, they have the ability to maintain focus on their own performance after both success and failure. And I've seen this so many times with people who overestimate their potential after one really good race, but I've also seen the same people or as many people completely disregard their ability after one poor performance. And at the end of the day, it's really just a step. It's a learning opportunity towards the ultimate goal. And and it might feel like a step backwards, but in reality, what you've learned from taking that step might actually propel you forward, even though the immediate satisfaction of that has to be delayed till another day. And third, you have the ability to recover from the unexpected, the uncontrollable, the unusual events. And this is a perfect time. We're living in that time exactly right now. Um, as we read about new race cancellations every day, I see, I see two sides of the spectrum, right? I see people who pull back and assess, which is I'm hoping that this will help people do. And then I see people who seem to be in complete despair while going right to the worst case scenario. And, and you're seeing that too, like so many times, like, oh my gosh, we're not going to race again this year. And there's a lot of speculating, but the, the point is they go automatically to the absolute worst case scenario. And that doesn't do any good either. But how we decide to handle adverse situations says a lot about our mental toughness. And I use that with the, uh, the, the old air quotes. Fourth, they have the ability to ignore typical distractions in the performance environment. So this might mean blocking out the dude who's breathing like a mo- locomotive engine uh, instead of getting annoyed by it and letting it take real estate up in your head. Like so many times, like somebody's annoying you in a pack of r- runners at a race or in your in your local run club and you guys are doing a workout and there's the one person who's got a one step or they or they're clearly in a group too fast for where they should be and or they're clipping your heels or like so how you handle those types of things takes a big is a big step in your mental toughness as well fifth they have the ability to focus on their own performance instead of being concerned with opponents performance and this is a big one i see so often with people who train in groups i saw it in group in with hanson brooks ODP. Um, I was part of it myself. I was I was both a perpetrator of it and I was also a victim of it. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest things I, I had to learn over time was how to use those people in the group. Where you know, like when I came in, Brian Sell was up and coming. He was gonna he was the clearly the leader of the team, and so everything was modeled after him. Even though we're two completely different people and we were two completely different points in our career. And I've talked about this before. But early on, as a young young guy, I was 23, 24 years old at the time, you know, I wanted to do everything he was doing, and I, I based myself off of what his performances were. So if I was in the same race, and he crushed it, and I didn't do very well, you know, I took that personally, and I, I'd do constant comparisons, and then you had to realize that we were two, two different levels, you know, he was clearly, you know, one, two, three levels ahead of where, where I was at. I was essentially where he was at a few years before that, so you have to take all those things with uh with a grain of salt 
And the common theme here is making sure that you are focusing or concentrating on the relevant things to your performance. And that's key, your performance, not anybody else's. And with that, there are four practical aspects of concentration. The first is selective attention. So during a run, a relevant cue to focus on would be maybe your stride, your effort, your breathing, something like that. Something irrelevant is thinking about where you're going to eat afterwards or the houses along the course. Second, being able to focus on being able to to focus during the event or the workout. So here it might be maybe you're having a rough workout and instead of just moving on, allowing it to set the trend for progressively bad workouts and then ultimately missing the goal. So instead of letting it one-time event, it's a one-time event that spurs on like a domino effect. Third, what is called situational awareness or this is taking the cues in your environment and making decisions based on that. So in a race, this might be turning the corner right into a headwind. How do you handle that? You know, do you tuck in? Do you just say, I'm going to go full force. I'm going to keep pushing this pace regardless of what happens. You know, how you handle that makes a big difference. Fourth, you have the ability to shift your focus on the demands. So you have different, you have different types of attentional focus, like broad, narrow, external or internal, and even a combination of say, broad, external or narrow, internal, and if you're running a marathon, then what you focus on at the start of the race should be shifting as the race goes on. And so the list of things may not change, but the priority of those things might change. So, um, you know, early on, you might be putting a, a more of a focus on, you know, staying relaxed and staying in a group and, and um, trying not to do as much work as you as you possibly can while staying on while staying on pace. And as you get into the race further, that might shift into more internal things of monitoring how you're feeling. And then later on, you might even just completely switch again. So all those things still might be on the list, but the order of what you're trying to go through and, and the order of importance to you will probably shift throughout the race. And so holding on to, so like if you're at 22 miles, you know you're going to feel uncomfortable. So putting a lot of effort into monitoring how you feel might not necessarily make as much sense as it would early on because you know you're going to feel rough, right? And so you kind of actually want to shift away from that and focus more on just competing and trying to pass, you know, trying to block that part out, whereas earlier on it might have been of a higher importance. So just things, things like that to, to really think about, maybe list out and, and kind of see how those things would shift for you as a race went from the start to, to the finish. And so for runners, the last area of attentional focus may be better described this might be better described as associative and dissociative properties, which we were just kind of discussing. Association is monitoring bodily functions and feelings. Dissociation is dissociating from pain and boredom, usually via music. And that is usually prevalent during long distance racing or even beginners running their first, first 5K. It's all, it's all relevant uh, to what your, what your situation is. So the interesting thing is that dissociation is pretty common for those who are beginners or recreational runners because it can make it it can make the event more pleasant and it can actually decrease the fatigue and monotony of the workout the run or the race on the other hand faster runners tend to associate themselves so that they can monitor where they are at so this is more like associating with the pain and the discomfort those types of things the association to the discomfort allows them to push harder despite the discomfort because they already know it's coming and they've already dealt with it in the past via training. And so the above paragraph is what I was referring to is when I discussed zoning out. You know, when I talked early on about 
you know, not focusing on too much. And so it was really kind of that zoning out type of thing until you really, really had to buckle down and focus. Uh, like I said, my wording was probably off, but I believe in my idea. Over over my competitive career, I have found that you can't be in that associative mindset all the time. It's just not sustainable without burnout. And so, for example, if I approached the easy day, the day so the day an easy day after a workout per se, then it would be only a matter of time before I was hurt. So if I went into basically day after day after day with an associative mentality where I was going to be just being constant monitoring of myself all the time, then I would probably just get hurt because I would probably be putting too much focus on things that didn't necessarily need to be focused on on easy days. And when I say, um, when I say intensity, I'm not talking about running intensity, but I'm talking about that mental intensity. I can't be like, yes, a 10 mile run, get some. However, we can go into that mindset for a 10 mile tempo. We want to be up. We want to be mentally up. We want to be hyped up a little bit going into those workouts. Whereas an easy day, we don't have to be all in. We just have to go get it in, right? Like, and that's the big thing. And somebody says, oh, I just didn't want to do it. Like, that's pretty common on an easy run. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it offers offers you an opportunity to kind of mentally dissociate from things going on. And so the same thing is true for the marathon itself. Early on, we may be in more dissociative mindset, just generally taking in information. However, as the race goes on, we narrow our focus to more associated measures and disregard more outside information. So to be that narrow focus for, you know, whether you're, you know, Kiplagat or whoever versus, you know, average Joe just trying to run his first marathon, you know, anywhere in that two to five hour range, that can be mentally draining, especially when you take dropping blood sugar into account. I don't, I won't go into that too much, but basically if your blood sugar is dropping and your mental capacity is already going to be diminished a little bit of that, and it's going to be, you're going to be a little bit foggy, then it just makes it even harder to concentrate on those things, right? So we have to, we have to keep that all in perspective. And so the last area I wanted to talk about was some of the issues that we have with attention because we get distracted easily, especially when we're tired. And there's really two areas of distractions, internal distractions. So in this case, we'd be, um, think about, uh, um, so I messed that up. So two internal distractions and an external distraction. So in this case, we tend to talk about past events or future events. And I think we can all relate to these. So past events would maybe be going back to a time where you were in the same position. So a, a common one would say, I got to 20 miles in the marathon and then all, it went to hell in a handbasket, right? And, and even though you might be a different runner than you were the last time, by going back to that place, we take away from focusing on the right now. How are you feeling right now? And we're taking ourselves back to that place where it didn't go well. And all of a sudden we start predicting what's going to happen next because we're going back into the past. Um, the second thing is thinking about future events. So these are going to be your what if type of statement. So for example, what if I get to 25 miles and I completely run out of gas? So that, what, what if my side starts hurting? What if I cramp up? These all project the future and take away, uh, they also take away from the right now and, they, and, and the focus of that is currently required at the task at hand. So we stop focusing on what the task at hand is and we start thinking about what might happen in the future. And that may or may not even come true, but the fact that we're putting that in our head ultimately 
brings it to to light and we focus on that in the present so we like it might be like oh i'm gonna I can, i'm gonna conserve energy now so that i have something left when i get to 25 even though you don't have no idea what's gonna happen at 25 you might have been doing everything on point and you might be having the race of your life and it's not gonna it's not gonna go south at 25 miles it's it's gonna be just fine you might you're gonna be competitive and all these things but you've already predicted the future by going to those what if statements all right so the flip side is the external distractions and these are in the form visual and audio. So a great example of both the visual and audio is Wellesley College at roughly, say, the 12-mile mark of the Boston Marathon. Uh, it's, a, it's in a, a spot where you, where you go from being pretty quiet to just a solid roar of screaming women with all kinds of crazy signs. They're not fit, some of them are not fit for family discussion. Um, the first time I ran Boston, I was like, I was, you know, I was a help. It was definitely an experience. Uh, I was blown away. I wasn't expecting. Uh, I wasn't expecting it all, and it just completely got my adrenaline going. So you can go instantly from focusing on yourself in a relatively quiet uh, to a rough to, to relative quiet to a roughly half mile of a noise tunnel and a kaleidoscope of all these visual um, things in your face and, and these noises and just just general craziness. And it makes you do things you normally might not do. So like high fives, fist pumps. You know, I've seen people turn around and run back. I've I, it, All kinds of stuff that you normally probably wouldn't do in a marathon. And so while it's a great pick-me-up, it shifts your focus away from the things that may not really benefit you a few miles up. So like Boston's a perfect example because at Wellesley, the course is relatively comfortable. And then you kind of go into the downhill into the town of Wellesley through the half marathon point. But then after you get out of that, then you start the Newton Hills, right? So, you know, so in a stretch of four miles, you're going from, yeah, this is great to, oh my God, what did I get myself into? And so that's really, you know, that's a really good example there because it, what you, you know, getting all fired up now, uh, it might take you for a couple miles and make you feel great for a couple miles, but you're going to get smacked in the face with something that's not going to be very pleasant. And what you needed to have in terms of reserves of, of energy and adrenaline and just mental um, preservation, you've used up a little bit by just getting all buck wild through Wellesley College, right? So you really want those are the types of things you got to think about when you're, when you're in those situations. Okay, so what can you do to improve your concentration? That's the biggest, the biggest way is self-talk. I don't recall where I saw it, but I recall seeing a stat that was it was to the effect that basically two-thirds of our internal talk is negative self-talk, which is crazy, right? Like we all, and we all do it. You know, I do it. We do it. We all, we have all done, we're all very negative on ourselves, right? We've all been in that critical, all been critical of a decision we've made on the fly. And unfortunately, that doesn't do anything to improve our performance. On the other hand, instructional self-talk and motivational self-talk can improve our performance. The basis of these are self-explanatory as motivational focuses on motivating yourself for increasing effort and energy instructional focus on technical aspects of the skill now inst instructional self-talk seem to be better for increasing performance while motivational self-talk seem to work better for exercise adherence so if you're ready to give up or go the next day motivational seem to help much better so while the data wasn't really looking at, at experience i immediately wonder if more uh, novice runners go to motivational where more experienced go to instructional. That's something that would be um, nice to like. But considering the trends in association and dissociation, I, to me it doesn't seem like a far leap that that's how it would maybe go. 
But in any case, there's really six rules for self-talk, right? So, so one is keep it short and sweet. So this would be like your mantra. So like, uh, you know, I feel smooth or drop your shoulders or my stride is perfect or whatever the case is. Something short and sweet that you repeat over and over and over again. Use the first person, use the present tense. Construct positive phrases. Say your phrases with meaning and attention and speak kindly to yourself and repeat these phrases often. You know, if you have to set alarms in your phone just to get you through the day or whatever the case is, something to, to do. Or like at the beginning of each mile, uh, you know, re make sure you say these things over to yourself, whatever the case is. All right, so the second thing I want to talk about is routine. We all have... We all have morning routines, right? Our morning routine might not be a morning routine, but it, we still have routines. Um, we try to get our kids into a routine. And why do we do this? Because it becomes habit. And when it becomes habit, it becomes automatic. So my theory is this, that if we create something of habit, then we don't have to overthink it. It's on our list of cues, but it's not overemphasized. So in other words, what, what's in our routine is not overwhelming our limited capacity, right? So I feel like one good example is our nutrition and hydration routine for the race. And I use this because this is what I see most people struggle with. To those, to those who practice the routine regularly during long runs and workouts, they don't seem to stress about it as much during the race as people who don't practice it. They know how their stomachs are going to react. They aren't concerned with how, how they're going to store their gels. It's already been worked out and it isn't requiring extra attention. On the other hand, I had athletes who talked about what they wanted to do, but they never practiced it regularly. So on race day, they were laser focused on this, but they let take up too much real estate in their head and they didn't take in any of the other cues. Or they did and got overwhelmed. So even worse, since they didn't have a routine, as soon as it got difficult, they abandoned the plan and end up paying the price by bonking. So let me think about this. So besides that, what other routines can you think of that would carry over nicely to performance? I automatically go to like warm-ups, dynamic warm-ups, drills, strides, strength training, mobility training, all these things that we want to become habit, and then they just become ingrained in our daily routine. All right, but you think about what's important to you and what you could potentially do. So the last one is self-monitoring, and it has been shown to improve concentration and performance. So two major areas come to mind to me, and that's food tracking and training log. The biggest reasons to track these are to see patterns, consistency, and to compare similar days. This is true for either food tracking or a training log. The key, the key though, is the detail that you put into each item. So, for instance, Final Surge syncs to Garmin Connect and others, other different watches and things, to pull data from your watch and populate appropriate fields. Oftentimes, that's it. The runner offers nothing else, even though there's only raw data. Why? Well, to them, it's not all that important. They are concerned with mileage, pace, and the day that it was done. If I am a coach and all I see is raw data, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. When I ask an athlete, they have to go back and try to sort through that run that was a week, 10 days ago, whatever the case is, with the time being filled with other runs, work life, Netflix, Tiger shows, all that other nonsense. But anyway, the details get fuzzy. Not only does that hurt a coach's ability to help, but it also hurts you, the runner, because we don't really have anything to compare later on. If we did the same workout a month later, how do we know if it really went better or worse? The raw data only gives us part of the story. A perfect example would be doing a workout on February 1st, say here in Michigan, and turning around doing that same workout on, the, on March 1st. On February 1st, you might be full, full snowmobile suit, snowshoes, whatever the case is, 
But on March 1st, you might be in shorts and a long sleeve, and that's it. So see where having these details written down might help. And the same thing is true in the fall. You know, if you could be doing a workout November 1st in shorts and a t-shirt, December 1st, it might be six inches of snow on the ground. So having the details of, around those events are huge. So to me, the, de the details obviously help. They put the story to the headline. I also think that just making it a priority to log in detail cements its importance to you. If you don't take that as a priority, then you treat the whole thing as not necessarily a priority. You kind of, a lot of times you just end up going through the motions, and in your mind, and I've been in the same position, as if I can just mark the days off the calendar, that's all I need to do. The rest will take care of itself. So one small habit of priority leads to another and another over time, and you have completely transformed your mindset, attitude, and physical surroundings. So think of it as like that making your bed type of thing, right? So if I just, if I want to have an organized life, what's the first thing I start with? I start with making my bed every day. And by making my bed every day, it leads to me doing other things slowly but surely, adding these other components into my day. And then over time, I've gotten to where I wanted to be. So think about that as you move on. The final piece really sums it up. None of these things are massive undertakings. They're small items, and they often get overlooked, but they lay a foundation to changing how we live and how we see ourselves. The fact that they may help us run better is a pretty attractive fringe benefit. So the key to all of this is starting small, recognize that it's going to take time, and recognize that it's going on, that it's happening, and you are going to probably catch yourself lapsing. Don't give up on it. Just right the ship when you see it drifting and stay the course. Over time, I think you'll notice big changes in a lot of different aspects. But ideally, the biggest change you see is in yourself, the way you talk to yourself, the way you approach your performance, the way you approach your workouts from a mental standpoint, developing those routines. And then, you know, this might be something that takes longer than a few weeks. It's probably going to be something that takes a few months. But if you start now where you have less things to really focus on, Maybe it's more of a habit when you do start training hard again. And then by the time your fall marathon rolls around and things are back to, to normal, hopefully, then it's part of, part of what you do. It's part of who you are. And that will make such, such a huge difference in, in, in running, but I think in a lot of different things in your life too, especially with the, with the self-talk and prioritizing where you put your focus. I think that can make a big difference in all aspects of our life. So, um, so take from that what you will. Hopefully it helps you out. I'll talk to you guys later. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon.